Hello, I'm Bernadette Armstrong. Welcome to Open Door Playhouse. Support for Open Door Playhouse comes from listeners like you. Your donations help keep our plays on the radio stage. Please become a member by logging into our patreon.com Open Door Playhouse and join a community that is committed to launching new plays, new writers, and new talent, as well as exploring social topics that affect the world in which we live. My Open Door Playhouse team behind the mic is associate producer Larray Griffith, who manages our website and, well, just about everything else, and Emily Owens, our publicist who notifies the universe about our plays. The plays are recorded at ES Audio Studios in Glendale, California, and none of this would be possible without my patient, talented, and supportive sound engineer, Paul Cantrell. Now playing in Theater 35, we're honored to present Supernova, which is our first play in our prison series written by a woman. Elizabeth Haas, a current resident of the Minnesota Department of Corrections. Supernova took first place in the PEN America's 2020 Prison Writing Program. Through a construct of monologues and conversations, Supernova gives voice to the multifaceted woman in lockup and highlights the need to bring the rights of children whose mothers are incarcerated into the equation of mass incarceration. Due to the power of this piece within Elizabeth's play, it will be presented in two acts. Act 1 will debut on Wednesday, July 14th, and Act 2 on Wednesday, July 21st. Supernova was directed by Bernadette Armstrong. The cast will feature Gloria De Silva, Sue Gesser, Rosemary Thomas, J.C. Porter, Zelda Kimball, Ricky S.I., Gloria Say, McKenna Colito, Pat Loeb, and Gina Kay. This call comes from an inmate at Minnesota State Women's Prison. If you accept this call, please press 0. If you decline this call, please press 1. If you no longer wish to receive calls from this number, please press star now. Hello. Hello. Hola. Hello. When I? Hello. Hi. Hello. I'm Asian. I am Muslim. Soy Latina. I am white. I am Christian. I'm black. Yeah, I'm native. I'm Jewish. Who wants to know? know. I need my GED. I need treatment. I need to renew my license. I need medication. I need a pen pal. I need to find a place to live. (laughs) I need a new girlfriend. Mm, I need to pray on it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was. What? Oh my god, when did it happen? Are you sure? Could you check my Facebook page? You want me to call her? Where did you look? Did you uh, send me my money? Who's at the house? Can you say, Mama? See? Yep. I have HIV. I-, I have a cold sore. I have a pending court date. I have the worst roommate. I have an LOP. I have, I have the, the worst, worst roommate. Worst roommate. I have hepatitis C. I have no more phone time. I have a vagina. It doesn't mean I need to walk around feeling like a victim. It doesn't mean I need to be a bitch. To start smoking again. To let him get under my skin. To get high. To hear that you're sorry. To go back there. Doesn't mean I need to feel like an inmate.
I love you. I love you. Te quiero. I love you. I love you. Fuck you. Yeah, I love you. I love you. Happy birthday to you, everybody. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. I love you. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. They said I lied? They said I asked for it. They said I shouldn't have said anything. I lost custody. They said I was mentally ill. They said I'd always be an addict. I knew better. They said it was my fault? I've learned to appreciate little blessings. I have learned that I am smart. I've learned not to call you before 10 in the morning. I've learned how to make taffy in the microwave. I learned how to love to write poetry. I've learned that I can have fun and be sober. I've learned cribbage. I have learned patience. I love you. 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 Fuck you. I am incarcerated. Wise. Grateful. I'm a survivor. A better listener. A better mom. I'm holding my head up. I am missing you. Movement opened. This is my third time here. And for the record, I'm strictly dickly. I mean, I get it if you were gay before you got here and you're like, still gay. But a lot of these bitches are gay for the stay and that's just co-dependent. Co-dependent. I don't have a girlfriend here. No, boo. I do have a lot of pen pals, though. Like nine, no ten, no, no nine. Keeps me busy. I hate having no mail. An empty mailbox ruins my whole day. Letters give me something to look forward to. All my wages go to envelopes and coffee and Jolly Ranches. My family doesn't write. They ain't uh, talking to me right now. Too many bridges burnt, I guess. My brother hung in there the longest, but after this last arrest, he won't pick up the phone. They're mad. I'm a loser. I am uh, cut off. My circle of friends has definitely shrunk. Now my only friends are locked up too. After they get out, they forget to write, but I don't get mad. I've done the same. You get busy with life or you start using again or you're on the run. It's hard to write a letter and find stamps when you're high. <laughs> uh. If you don't hear from someone for a while, you know they're out. And when you get another letter, you know they're back in. I'll be back. Movement closed. Haven't seen my mother in 18 years. <laughs> hmm. Well, I haven't seen my brothers either. I feel disconnected. I'm I've been on my own, had to advocate for myself, and now I am leaving in four months, and people keep asking me what I'm going to do. It feels scary. I ain't going to lie. All the new technology pff, overwhelms me. I mean, I've been on Facebook. I've used a flip phone, but I wouldn't know an app if I saw one. Never texted. I mean, hell, I've been on a bus for nearly two decades. I am not comfortable with ancient technology yet. It frightens me. And then, oh, there's the people part. 
all my nieces and nephews are all grown now, and my two kids are adults. I have a good relationship with both of them, which is more than some people have. I call them a few times every week. I talk to my little grandson every night. He loves sharks and dinosaurs, and, and we can't wait to go fossil hunting together. I want to take him fishing, talk about bears, walk in the rain, build a fort. Oh, he often cocks to me from under the dining room table. That is where his fort is now. <laughs> oh. Well, I'm not so worried about finding a job. I worry about feeling like, like I belong. Will they welcome me? Will they be happy to see me? Will people whisper behind my back? My friends here ask, I mean, what are you going to do first, expecting me to say, oh, I want a big steak dinner or something fancy? It's not like that. I'm going to... I'm going to visit my mother. My friend Nikki had the most beautiful hair and a voice like velvet. She had three kids that the state wouldn't let her see because of her drug priors. Now... I knew she was depressed because her older sister had killed herself a few weeks before, and they were tight. When Nikki was here, her kids had been living with an auntie and the auntie's boyfriend. Those two wanted custody of the kids for the money, for a damn monthly check that was supposed to go towards the expense of raising Nikki's kids. It wasn't a good situation. The auntie would regularly lock the kids out of the house. Her boyfriend would often make fists and pump his arms in the air and pretend he was going to hit them and then say, psych, oh, what a creep. And then he'd laugh. Oh, what an asshole. Nikki would cry and often have panic attacks. She felt helpless to protect her children. She finally got their custody changed by writing to her judge and begging him to give custody to her younger sister. After that, Nikki was still sad about not being able to see them, but at least felt that they were being protected and in a place where someone loved them. She was released last spring and OD'd last summer. Heroin mixed with pills. I miss her. ABE West canceled. I was in a car accident. It wasn't my fault, but a woman died. She was just like me, 28 years old, had two kids, driving out on a country road with no marked intersection. I wasn't really right after that. It really screwed me up. My mom took my two kids because I wasn't doing well. I had my third child. Then my husband killed himself after his teenage daughter from his first marriage accused him of molesting her. I guess his suicide answered that. I know, right? I felt overwhelmed and used meth soon after. Then I caught a charge and my little girl went to foster care. See, parental rights is terminated if a child under the age of eight is in foster care for more than a year. 
So I lost her to the system because I was in jail for too long. When I got out, I had one more baby, a beautiful little boy. Then I caught another charge. My ma thought I was going to get maybe 36 months. She was shocked to hear the judge give me seven and a half years. But I wasn't. Nope. I was numb. I hadn't processed most of the loss in my life. Now I've lost a second child to foster care. My oldest children have lost both their parents under traumatic circumstances, a suicide and incarceration. My son is 15 and he feels totally abandoned. My daughter, who's 11, is sad and worries about me. She worries about me. (laughs) She's scared of prison and that I will get hurt here. People say that addiction is a disease like cancer. She's sick, they say. But people don't lock up people with cancer. They treat them. They give them medical care. I'm locked up and stripped of my children. I was always skinny. When I was incarcerated for the first time, I gained 40 pounds in two years. A combination of inactivity, heavy carb diet, and depression. After I left prison, I was so lonely. I hated being fat. I was sober for about five months and then started to use again to lose weight, thinking that I'd quit as soon as I was thin. I couldn't. It's an ugly pattern. My ugly pattern. I went to prison in 2000, 2009, 2015, and I'm back now. This drug has made my world so small. When I'm high, I avoid family and church. I spend my time with other addicts. My mom always told me, you are who you hang with. And she's right. She's, uh, she's right. I went from cocaine to meth because everyone around me switched, and I went from not liking it to it becoming everything. And I do mean everything. My use escalated, and by 30, I was shooting up. I was recently diagnosed with emphysema. Meth contributed to that and will accelerate it if continuing the lifestyle. Though emphysema is scary, what I fear most is coming back to prison due to my stupid fucking skinny obsession. I pray every day that this is the last time. Please, let this be the last time. I was a fugitive because I never paid my taxes. I was terrified and depressed about my future, and I tried to kill myself by overdosing. I was arrested in the hospital, and it was there that I found out that I was pregnant. I had no idea, no idea, 
I cried and I cried and I cried, thinking that my overdose might have hurt the baby. This would be my fourth child. And you don't even know. If someone would have so much as lit a cigarette by me when I was pregnant with my last three, I would have flipped. Because of my lengthy sentence, I decided early on adoption for this baby. I knew which service I wanted to go through because three years ago I was going to adopt out my third child. Not because I don't love being a mother, but the father of my third child had worn a wire when he was with me, and he was the reason I was going to prison. I didn't think I could ever look at my third child, a little boy, without anger or resentment or seeing his father. I had the whole thing lined up, ready to go. It was a done deal until I saw him. I instantly loved him so much that I couldn't let him go. I felt awful for the family I had promised him to. But I just, I, I couldn't. Now, under these circumstances, I could. And I called. The adoption was open. Meaning I could pick out who I wanted to place my baby with. And I could have contact with him once he was adopted. What I didn't know was that the families looking for a child also vetted me, and they could hear my story before requesting my child. It was a mutual agreement. I was a new Christian. I'd never opened up a Bible before coming to prison, but I prayed over this decision constantly. I didn't even know if God was real or if prayer worked, but I prayed about it because it was going to be the most critical choice in this child's life. I was given 18 folders, 18 couples to choose from. I knew right away. It was so easy that it frightened me. The couple that I had picked had written a passage from the first book of Corinthians on the top of their sheet— it was the same passage that I had studied that morning. Love is patient. Love is kind. It always protects. Always trusts. Always hopes. Always perseveres. Love never fails. It's not easy to give up a baby. Even if you know it's the right choice for the child. Your brain knows, but your heart resists. Your heart grieves. I was in a state of... I was in a state of double grieving because before I was pregnant with this baby, I had lost a child. My second son had died at ten months. And his death hurt me so much that I could never talk about him. I would never say his name. When people asked me how many kids I had, I would say two. I know that sounds terrible, but it was the only way that I could cope, the only way that I could make it through my day. Now, with this pregnancy, with this baby I was giving up, I was forced to deal with both losses, the upcoming loss of this baby and the death of my second son. His name was Andreas. My baby... My son that I was now giving up was born with water in his lungs. I wept because I felt that his condition was my fault. The doctor and hospital staff tried to assure me that this wasn't related to my overdose, 
that it just happens sometimes. But I couldn't be consoled. I couldn't stop crying. I was ashamed. Sickened. His... His condition also meant that I would not be able to be with him during the 72 precious hours that I would be allowed off-grounds. It was the only time I had before I surrendered him to his new parents. His adoptive parents were there at his birth, in the next room, behind a curtain. DOC policy doesn't allow contact with anyone but the two correctional officers who were guarding me and my doula. When I asked to go visit my son at the nurse's station, his new parents would leave him before I was allowed to see him. As I passed them in the hall, we couldn't acknowledge each other, even though we had met on several occasions. It was so awkward. I have nothing but gratitude. I had the best care I've ever had. The officers and my doula were lovely. So was my roommate, who throughout my third trimester read Bible verses to my stomach. And so was the woman who gave me a massage and acupuncture at the hospital after the birth. When I returned to prison, I just kept on hearing how brave I was, how unselfish I was. I didn't want to hear that. I was grieving. I just wanted to talk about my baby. His name is Abel. I was eight and came to prison seven months pregnant. A year earlier, I, uh, I ran a red light while texting, causing the death of two people, a dad and his daughter. I have to live with that every day for the rest of my life. I wasn't scared of my sentence or of a prison environment. I had been in and out of the juvenile system for years, mostly truancy stuff. But I was scared of being a mother while in prison. Having a baby here is lonely. We aren't allowed to let family know we're going to the hospital. No one's there but two officers and a doula. Ah, thank God for my doula. She was everything to me. She held my hand. She held me together. Without her, I wouldn't have anything good to remember. In my doula's eyes, I was not an inmate having a child. I was a person having a baby. Initially, I considered adoption, but I just I felt uncomfortable giving my baby to complete strangers. I had my daughter in July, and my aunt and uncle picked her up from the hospital. It was supposed to be a temporary thing, but within a week, they asked if they could change her name to Scarlet. By the end of the month, they were no longer accepting my phone calls, my letters. By early August, I was brought to the parenting coordinator's office and was told that my aunt and uncle had sent custody papers drawn up by their lawyer. The papers said that because of my incarceration, I was an unfit mother. They said I was mentally unstable. I freaked. If I signed these papers, 
I would forever lose my daughter. The only other family in my life was my sister, and she was only 17. She used drugs. She'd quit school. She was living with her boyfriend, whom I never met. She told me that she would stop using to watch the baby. But do you trust someone who uses to really stop? Do I place my child with someone I love, but who's young and currently using? Or do I leave my daughter with people who have the means to take care of her, but would totally cut me out of my daughter's life? I made a really radical choice, and I signed over my then one-month-old daughter to my sister's boyfriend. I know it sounds crazy. He was 23, and like I said, aside from the few conversations, I had never met him. My aunt and uncle would not give her up voluntarily. The police had to go and get the baby from their house. For those first few weeks, my sister still used, but her boyfriend, he had the complete support of his family, and he took care of my daughter. He was the sole caretaker. Then week three brought a miracle. My sister stopped using cold turkey, no treatment, just stopped. She stopped, and everything got better. Her boyfriend got a new and better-paying job. They bought a house. My sister started working and taking classes at an online school. She is now happy and healthy and just found out that she's pregnant. (laughs) My baby has changed my sister's life. My daughter is now 11 months old, and she is the darling of everyone's eye. After I left the hospital, I didn't see my baby girl for six months. Because until my sister turned 18, she wasn't able to visit or bring my daughter to visit. At my daughter Zoe's first visit, I was anxious. I was scared. Every emotion bundled together. While other moms were playing with or reading to their kids, I was sobbing. My baby, who is not named Scarlet, as I mentioned, was as happy as could be. (laughs) I'm still nervous that she won't see me as her mom. I see her once a month, and I'm so grateful to my sister and her partner and his whole family. They have been there for her. I'm so grateful that my baby is loved and healthy and happy. I was messed up when I got here. After my accident, after my baby's birth, but now I feel that this darling baby girl saved my sister's life and gave me a purpose to live. I found out my dad was really ill one day before he passed. This was a Saturday. His funeral was going to be on the upcoming Friday. I wanted to go and say goodbye and ask the officer in the unit if I could or not. 
He sent an email and talked to my caseworker and the watch commander to see if that was possible. The watch commander didn't know. My case manager talked to me on Monday. She said that funerals were not getting approved, more bedside visits than funerals. She said that now that the prison has a fence, the policy was different. So now that this prison has a fence around it, it made us more dangerous? We're considered higher security risk, more likely to escape? I find out on Friday, the day of the funeral, I couldn't go. Saturday, the day after, I got a note back from my case manager confirming this. So that's timely. My grandma, aunt, grandpa, and dad have all died during my three years in lockup. I have no closure. They don't consider grandparents immediate family. Grandparents aren't, but step-families are. It's fucking bullshit. So help me. There will be no end to my screaming if my mom dies and I can't go to her funeral. I understand how you feel. Movement closed. My grandpa began to have memory issues at 82. He was living alone in his house because my grandma had died two years prior. My mom took him to the Mayo Clinic to get checked out, and it was discovered that he had masses on the brain. Bummer. So, like, what what are masses? I'm not sure, but it's not good. My mom had always said that she never wanted to be put in a home, so when she put my grandpa in a home, I flipped. I started screaming at her. Why are you putting him in a home? Why would you do that to him when you don't want it done to you? She was like, I can't help it, Margie. I have to work, you know that. Within six weeks, he died in a hospice. If I was out, he'd never had to leave his house. I would have taken care of him. Bitch. Right? Yeah, like, I totally understand how you feel. My dad had, like, a literal stroke while I was in county jail. I, like, I wanted so badly to be there with him. Duh. And, OMG, like, with my family. Especially since I felt as though, like, my crime totally contributed to the stress that, like, ultimately caused his stroke. So gnarly, right? So I have a lot of guilt over that. And like, it totally doesn't help that my parents are like paying my mortgage bonus along with their bills. I, I know, I know how like totally hard this is for them. But like, sometimes when like my mom asks me if I need money, I like, totes lie and say no as if I totally have everything that I need here I like thinking about like taking any more of their money even though I like totally need it all offenders report to living units today I got a letter from my friend Jason 
He's up in Togo, Minnesota in CIP boot camp. I don't know exactly where Togo is, but it's sort of by Hibbing. CIP stands for Challenge Incarceration Program. Boot camp is a six-month program for nonviolent drug offenders that take time off their sentences and give them cognitive thinking skills. Apparently, drugs are all about impulsive behavior and instant gratification. Whatever. We have CIP down here, too. Women used to go up to Togo, but the people in charge gave the camp to the guys because, well, I don't know why. I guess it was a space thing. There were more of them. Maybe they think the guys would do better. Now our CIP's at the prison. The CIPs have their own building because they took over one of our living units. We were told that having CIP here wouldn't affect the prison, but it does, because a building of beds for regular prisoners is gone. This prison isn't a building. It's a bunch of round brick buildings. There is a core building where there are administration offices and intake and a property window and a kitchen and a chow hall and medical and a visiting room and a gym. There is a little library and some group and education rooms and a chapel, but it's not really a chapel. It's just a room with a big window. The only one here. The segregation unit is also within the core building, but I've never been there. All the rest of the buildings are named after famous women. There's the Parks building where we have the industry jobs. It's where people make 50 cents to $1.50 an hour to fold balloons or sew in textiles or work in the rubber industry. There's also a cosmetology program and office support program where people learn keyboarding and office skills, like how to format a business letter. I know this as a fact because I am an office support and I just created a business letter yesterday. It's trickier than it sounds because you have to space everything perfectly or you have to redo it. I'm a loser. I had to redo it three times because I kept forgetting to put the little CC thing in the corner to mean you're sending the letter to more people. Ugh. All the other buildings are living units. Broca is where they send all the newbies. Anthony is where they have the parenting program. Bethune houses education, people going to school to get their GEDs. Roosevelt has a lot of core cool building workers. Bitches that work in the kitchen are like in the gym. The Monaghan unit is for the treatment chemical dependency and sex offenders in the WOW program. WOW stands for Women of Wellness. It's for people who needs, um, more wellness? I don't know. The depressed, I think. The super criers. Oh, and the PFA program is housed there too. That's like God-based study. Who am I missing? Oh, Tubman. You know, Harriet. They have most of the industry workers and a lot of the long-termers. And lastly, Novello, where CIP people live separately from the general population. They're dressed differently and have to address staff, a sir or ma'am, and do a lot of marching and chanting around the perimeter like a bunch of fake Marines. The only good thing about having CIP down here is because of them, we now have more exercise equipment in the gym. At any rate, my friend Jason has four months left in Togo, where apparently he's chopping wood and volunteering at a horse farm. Well, today I ate seven blueberries out of a muffin, three A1 steak sauce packets, four cups of coffee, ten pork rinds, and a hot dog. Without the bun, I'm still hungry. I'm always hungry. Because I have a problem with a lot of food textures. Like with pork rinds, I can only eat the fluffy ones. Or I, I think too much about what I'm 
what I'm actually consuming. For example, yesterday, I I choked on one. And when I, I could, I started yelling, I'm choking on dried skin. I'm choking on dried skin. <coughs> oh, it was horrible. I'm sorry. And I don't eat too much in the chow hall. Mm. That place is nothing but carbs on a tray. But I will eat the egg salad. It runs right through me. So that's only a couple of calories. A1 steak sauce. It's made from raisins. So that's a lot of iron. And I also buy the egg whites because they're selling them on the canteen now. I sprinkle hot sauce on them. It's not bad. Or sometimes I will eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich without the bread. <sighs> mm. When I was a teenager, I would vomit daily, which I know is really bad for you. So now, I just, I don't eat. It's healthier, but it's harder. It takes a lot of discipline. <sighs> Every prisoner has a job. Mine is in education, tutoring others in math and English. <laughs> by now, I can tell what kind of drug they used before they got here by how they learn. Alcoholics figure out a math process but by the next day do not retain anything and totally forget how to do it. Meth users spend all of their educational time obsessing with their OCD tendencies. Can't have eraser marks and insist on perfectly cut squares for flashcards. Heroin addicts' brains are just too mellow and spacious to focus on much of anything. There are so many different levels of learning in the same classroom, and currently people are handed a book and told to read it. The educational system needs an overhaul. People need a fair chance. The administration is gung-ho about people bettering themselves, but they're the ones that need to step up their game and help people learn. We need more and better books an interactive education. Give people incentives, even if it's just a, a new pencil or highlighter. People try harder knowing that there's a prize at the end of the struggle. And there are people here with English as a second language. They need one-on-one -on -one explanations of basic math and English, hands-on, not just sitting at the desk. How can you choose a pronoun if you don't know the gender of a name? Hmm? If we had some community volunteers that were trained to teach, that could translate, it would really help. I, I just want to see everyone win. I love my mom, but she is a difficult person. I worry a lot about her and the care of my children. I worry about my mom's financial state and the way she responds to issues surrounding my siblings, especially my brother, who 
is an addict. I disagree with how she parents, how she gets when she's mad. She yells, is a name-caller, has no awareness about how hurtful her words can be. She watches my oldest, who is 13. He feels displaced. My son won't lie to me, but doesn't want to tell me what my mom said to him because he knows it will make me upset. He is not happy where he is. Knows his life is not normal. On the weekends, my mom often watches all three of my kids. Thirteen, seven, and three. I always have to ask for her, no, beg for her to bring the kids to visit me. Our relationship is strained. We, we don't talk about it, but in the undercurrent of our arguments, she's like, Stop taking all my fucking time. And I'm like, stop ruining my kid. Resentment on both sides. My biggest frustration is that I have no control. Being in here, there is little I can do about her behavior or decisions. My mother will say things like, Get off that fucking game, you little bastard, and go to bed. God, I hate my life. I would never speak to my child that way. No, I would do things differently. My kids are all waiting for the day when I'm free. We are all waiting for the day when I'm free. Who got hoffed out? Um, Mesh. Uh, Carla from the kitchen. Uh, Vicki Anderson. Mm. Uh, Melissa with the stars on her neck. I, I don't know the fifth. Oh, I think the fifth was the native girl who hangs out with Shauna. Oh. Oh, super nice, that girl. That sucks. They never take the bitchy people. What's hoffed? Housing off grounds. It's when they ship people out to county jail because there's not enough room here. They pluck people that don't have violent crimes and aren't a problem. I mean, it's like you get punished for behaving. If you are a (laughs) shit starter, you're safe. Yep. My friend Hannah was taking a college class in the parenting program in groups, getting regular visits from family, doing everything you're supposed to be doing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when she got shipped out. I knew Mm -hmm. that no one was safe, except for people with a lot of medical problems because county doesn't want to deal with them. I think I should be okay because all my heart shit. Mm. Mm, Yeah. Carla was crying hard. Oh, I don't blame her. No programming, no activities. It is hard time. You just... Sit there for a year. You just sit. Yep. Every damn thing about county jail is bad. Mm. Locked down 23 a day. All phone calls 50 cents a minute. You can't bring none of your things, so you have to rebuy everything. You can't buy a TV. Mm. The books are shit. Missing all the last pages. <laughs> yeah. I hated that. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I know a girl who just bought a TV here. And was shipped out a week later. I mean, what a finger flip. What a waste of money. It's been canceled all week. No one wants to be Hoff to County. But we got no extra beds here. Yeah, I think this prison was made for 250 people. Mm. But we are as 
660-something. They've got to stop sending people here that have such short sentences. I mean, I've seen people come in on a Friday and leave after the weekend. Yep. They should have at least, what, three months? <laughs> Try a year. Yeah. Well, it's not about logic. It's about money. It's always about money. Oh, no, I hope that I don't get shipped out. I have two years left. I want to get my GED. No one wants to be Hoff to the county. Mm-hmm. Number four. Ooh, finally. My turn. <laughs> I've been to five county jails. Shit, what did you do? Drugs. I didn't have charges in five counties. They just had no place to put me. I've spent time in Clay County, that's in Moorhead, then moved to Polk County in Crookston, Ottertail in Fergus Falls, then Douglas County in Alexandria, mm-hmm. and then was moved to Wilkin County Jail in Breckenridge, where I spent a month alone because there were no other females. I would get shipped back and forth each time I had a court appearance. Damn. Good use of dock money. <laughs> God, I hate that. I have anxiety. Yeah, I had constant anxiety because I didn't know where I would be. I had charges and... Two counties, not five. At Polk County, my family had to visit me through a TV monitor that half the time didn't even work. Or the sound would be out. They were driving two hours one way for a visit that didn't even seem real. Number five. Ooh, see ya. Smell ya. (laughs) Bye. Have a good day. I'm sort of freaking out. Why? I'm scared to be huffed. Ah, Angel, you can't spend time worrying about things you don't have control over. Don't put energy into what hasn't happened. Things change. Things always change here. People weren't always huffed because of space until they brought CIP down here. It took over the entire building. We lost a lot of beds. I, well, I want to go to CIP. I, I want to go to boot camp. I'm not saying CIP is a bad thing. I'm just saying, we lost about 50 beds. You should go to CIP if you're able to. It'll take lots of time off your sentence and hopefully give you more tools to manage your life, to maybe change your thinking. Yeah, I I need that. I'm scared that I'll use when I leave and I'll come right back here. I don't have a place, a sober place to go when I leave. My county of commit is full of all the people I did drugs with. I'm scared that I'll use if I go back there. Yeah, a lot of people feel that way. I know it's not easy. I mean, I know women who have been to treatment multiple times, like 17 times. Mm -hmm. Something ain't right about that. Mm -mm. But all you can do is make the best choices you can every day, whether you're in prison or out of prison. Number six. Thank you for talking to me. Yeah. Take it easy. I know it all worked out. Count is cleared. Count is cleared. If I had, like, a form to fill out and it asked, what are your hobbies outside of these prison walls? I would say dumpster diving. I love it. It's addicting. There's a whole community of us divers. Some nights it's like, hey, Dave, I'm Nicole. Everyone waves from their dumpsters. We're regulars. 
I know some people are homeless and need food and stuff because there's a lot of sealed food that gets tossed. And some people like to get stuff to sell it. And some people, like me, we just like the thrill of the hunt. And some are hoarders. I know a woman who has 45 left shoes. 45. So the shoe store would toss out right shoes on Mondays and left ones on Thursdays. What are you going to do with 45 left shoes unless you have only one leg? (sighs) Yeah, I should probably throw those out when I get out of here, huh? So check it. I bought headgear. You know, the, 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 the thing on your head, the lights on your head? I bought that last summer. It makes me feel like a miner. Freeze up the hands. Dumpster diving is not illegal, by the way. It's public domain. No signage, no locks, fair game. Sometimes the cops will come and tell us to get out of the dumpster, but that's pretty rare. We aren't hurting anything. We're... We're repurposing. Overstock, floor models, dented stock, past date on box kind of stuff that's actually really just fine. There can be broken glass, broken stuff, though that's really the only danger. Oh, and sometimes, oh, it smells super ripe. When things are rotting, it smells like a like a feet and yeast combo. (laughs) And once I almost poked my eye out with a broken wire clothes hanger. At least, I think it was a clothes hanger. I'm not sure. But there are treasures to be had. Like last year, I found a whole dumpster full of puff paint and decorated my family's t-shirts all summer. It was awesome. Or once I found a bin full of that uh, that netting-like ballerina skirt tutu stuff, enough to make a whole ballet. I've been to the ballet, by the way, the Nutcracker at the Northrop Theater. It was so pretty. But if you think about it, ballet doesn't seem natural. They don't move natural. Probably because those tutus are stiff and scratchy stuff. Not natural. Uh, kind of like, kind of like prison, huh? You deserved it. You deserved it. No one cares. Had it coming. What did you, you have to do? Shut up. Bad girl. What did you are never good enough. You are never disappointed. Never. Poor. Ugly. Work on your own. Bad girl. You're on your own. You deserved it. You have no say. Nothing. You're never good enough. Bad girl. You're going to die. You deserve it. Bad girl. No value. Definitely on your own. No one cares. Disappointment. I had my first real boyfriend at 14. We were together for four years, and he beat me nearly every day. 
He was ten years older than me, and my family hated him. I believed him when he said he loved me. A passionate, controlling love. We had two children together. We broke up when I attacked him. I didn't want him to hurt our two sons the way he hurt me. I grew up in an abusive culture. Fighting was normal. Everyone yelled at each other in the neighborhood in the house. My dad was physically abusive to my mom. I think he was schizophrenic. He did a lot of LSD. He drank. I have a clear image of him putting scissors to my mom's neck. My mom left him after about 10 years or so and took us with her. I became a dancer when I was 18. I danced for 10 years. It was the only time in my life that I wasn't being beat up. I paid all my bills by myself. I never did drugs. I danced and I went home to my sons. We had a nice apartment. I wasn't ashamed. I looked at my dancing as art. Then, I got married, and my husband beat me. I was scared of him. He cheated on me, and I found this out when I contracted chlamydia. The police were called many times. He'd say, if I can't have you, no one will. I thought that was love. My third boyfriend beat me the most. I had a third son, but he died before his first birthday, and that broke me. My fourth relationship started, and this man never beat me, but he was mentally and sexually abusive. This scared me the most. He used coke and drank a lot, and I started using too. He controlled me a lot through drugs. I was so lost and humiliated. Mental control? is a thousand times worse than physical beatings. I'm here because I stabbed him. Just missed his heart. I hurt from how people loved me. I love differently now. Yeah, I was, uh, I was beat up a lot at home. Oh, by your parents? No, um... My grandparents. <laughs> Why? I'm, I, they couldn't help it. They, they were sent to those state schools where people rammed Q-tips in their ears and, you know, put soap in their mouths for speaking Ojibwe. <sighs> yeah. So, so hitting you was their normal. Yeah. Yeah. Hitting, kicking. Throwing, pulling hair. Where were your parents? Oh, my mom died when I was nine, and my dad. Oh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Well, when did you leave your grandparents' house? When I was 17. <sighs> Let me be clear. My violent childhood did not ruin my life. It wasn't pretty or normal. Or easy, but it didn't kill me. What did? I have my son when I was 20. And I buried him when I was 21. Oh. 
No one should have to do that. No one. I threw my life away when he died. I, I didn't care about anything. I wanted to die too. No one should have to bury their baby. Oh. Wow. You know, <laughs> I think that's the one piece that's never talked about much. But is front and center to why so many women are here. What's that? This place, this... This place is full, full of mothers who've lost their children. Mm. A child mm -hmm. has died or, or been lost in a custody yeah. battle. Were you here last December? Mm -mm. The chaplain held a blue Christmas service for mothers who had lost a child. Oh. Anyone could go, but it was four women whose children had died, and it was packed. Wow. It, it sounds sad, but <laughs> oddly enough, people felt better after, after going. It was like there was comfort in sharing pain. You know, when the other people were hurting too, that that others understood your pain. Mm. Well, did you go? Yeah. Yeah. I felt like Westwood I was honoring Bible my son. Honoring him. Remembering him. Yeah. Yeah, well, when I got incarcerated, I got stripped of my custodial rights. Because I had an open CPC, a child protection case. I got the CPC because I had a drug charge. And because the father of my twins choked me in front of the kids. And my daughter told a teacher. At the time, she was five, and the twins were three and a half. So now my daughter lives with her father. And my sons were put into foster care and adopted out. I'm not able to see my boys. I've written letters to them, but I never hear back. The adoptive ma tells me that she's put in the letters and the cards that I set in a box, and she'll show them when it's time. Yeah, I gotta accept that, but I don't know what's really going on. I hope that they're well taken care of. I hope that they're gonna have contact with me after they turn 18, but how am I supposed to have con- I am supposed to have contact with my daughter, but her father won't let me see her. He told me that he wouldn't keep her from me as long as you're sober. Yeah, well, I was sober for five years and I never saw her. Not once. So where is the incentive to stay sober? <sighs> but my only thing is that someday I want my kids to be proud of me. Okay. To see that I can be sober. I, I, I want to be able to say, look, your ma... She can do good things. When I was on probation, I was mm -hmm. on color code and had to make a daily call to an automated call center that set a color. Mm -hmm. If they said my color, which was green, I had to come in for a pee test. They chose colors randomly, like from a spinner from the game Twister, but with about a dozen colors. I ended up peeing in a cup a few times every month. If people were frequent violators, like super naughty and frequently failing their drug tests, they were pink or ivory, 
and their chance of being chosen was high. Oh, how ironic. <laughs> they had to pee test all the time. No, I was a pink. Oh, <laughs> so you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I would go to this place called Spruce Tree that was in an office building in St. Paul right off University Avenue. Mm. After signing my name, my agent's name, I'd go into this bathroom with some random female that works for the county. Right. It's her job to watch me pee. <laughs> I'd love to see that job application. Watch people pee. Great benefits. No experience necessary. Right? Well, I have to show her my stomach to show that I'm not holstering any extra pee. Right. Don't have any tubes with clean pee attached to my person, like down here, like this. And I circle around, then sit down, hold a cup, pee in it, set the cup on the counter, flush, wash my hands, lid the cup, and hand it over. To avoid a dirty UA, to get around this pee system, I usually have some clean pee on hand. Mm. Keep it in the freezer. Pee on ice. (laughs) Usually I thaw it pour it in a pill jar, and put a plastic bag over the opening and shove it in my pee hole. Uh, can we just say vagina? Okay. Well, when I'm being tested, as I'm holding the cup, I pierce the bag with a fingernail. Yeah, yeah this usually works well. I did it all the time. Yeah. But once, when I was at my friend Lacey's house, I called and they said green. So I had to go in. No. But I was like, shit, I have no clean pee. <sighs> I had been up for three days straight, high as could be, and I was screwed. So then Lacey asks her 12-year-old daughter, Bethany, if she would pee in a cup for me. Wait, what? Yeah, I know. Oh, my God. I know, I know. It was wrong. But Bethany loves me and didn't understand why I needed pee, except that if I didn't have it, I'd go to prison. That is the sweetest thing. Yeah, so she peed for me. And... I put it in a pill bottle, covered it with plastic, and shoved it in my vagina. Thank you. And all is well. And I go in to take the test. Except this time, as I'm sitting there holding the little cup, I can't pierce the plastic. I don't know what kind of industrial plastic wrap Lacey was buying, but it would not break. No. So I tell the random county lady, I can't pee. So I leave and have to pee before 8 o'clock. Well, by then it was 7.30 p.m. So I'm in the entryway of the office building when the bag starts leaking. And I've now got Bethany's pee cascading down my leg. And I'm wearing flip-flops and jeans. And it looks like I've wet my pants. I'm like, fuck. I now have urine on my flops. Yeah. I go to my car and change my clothes. Because thankfully, I always keep an extra set of clothes in my truck. Mm. Yeah. Well, I panic. You know, what can I do? I need pee. I'm screwed. I know. I've been there, sister. Yeah? Well, across the strip mall is a GC. I go in, and inside I find fake pee that has crystals in it that you shake up. Whoa. This heats it up to body temp. The pee ran about 24 bucks. And that was about six years ago. Well, that's a great deal. Fake pee coming to a store near you. Right? So I bought it. Shook it, put it in my pill bottle, plastic bagged it, and shoved it in my vagina. vagina. Yes. And I go back in and pee. Well, it worked. And all was well. But I learned a very important lesson. What was that? God does not want us using children's pee for drug testing. (laughs) 
Amen. The biggest thing is distance. Yeah, no shit. How far to get Jamie here? Uh, four? No, four and a half hours, and that's just one way. Mine is three hours. Three and a half. Five here. Oh. It's too long a trip when they're little. That's too long of a trip when they're big. Yeah, yeah but at least they can play a game on their laptop. Um, <laughs> hello, who me? has a, a laptop? Okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but my mom gets really stressed out to drive near the cities. And there's always traffic, and she's not used to that, you know? Mm-hmm. She's 78 years old. It's too much. Too much. It is too much. Dang, my mom's taking care of my 10-year-old son and also watching his three cousins. And they're all under the age of four because their mom's in treatment. My mom's in a wheelchair because she has a bad hip and fibromyalgia. Mm -hmm. I just feel so bad. I don't want to ask her for another thing. She's willing, but God, she's just not able to bring my boys to see me. (laughs) I don't have anyone willing to bring my kids. My ex doesn't want to lift a finger if it helps me. He doesn't seem to care that it will help them. Right. I don't know one sober person that has a working vehicle and (laughs) is not on parole. (laughs) I don't know who to ask. Well, when a dad goes to prison, it's mom that brings the kids. But when a mom goes to prison, the caregiver is grandma, and she's Mm -hmm. just treading water. I mean, good luck trying to get a visit from either of them. Damn. There is a reason prisoners wear gray. The English gray, the Earl of Tea, the breast of dove, calm before storm, turn flying low over morning Atlantic. (laughs) No, not that gray. Not the tabby purr, not Seattle, not Sandberg's little cat-footed fog, not a grandmother's sepia still. American gray, sledge, mortar, cement, pate, sitting out in a winter backyard, crusty, Weight Watchers' liver simmering in water on low on Fridays, like day-old oatmeal, paper mache, ivy drip of gray death, sheet rock size. Honeyless, sick-tongued decay. Laundry room lint tray. Rounded shoulders. Is the gray I'm talking about? Loneliness. Dull confederate. Bleak brain tissue. Spinal cord overcast. Monotony. Kidney stone Mondays unidentifiable slate dinge of cold ashes. Death. There is a reason. There is gray. But then, in 2013, Mm -hmm. the dark days came. When the P... Property window window is closed. The property window window is closed the remainder of the day. When the P... Forgiveness is cancelled. Really? Forgiveness is cancelled. Does does God know? Phyllis, hmm. that's when the P tests changed. Oh. Oh. They were on to you. <laughs> they smartened up. <laughs> well, yeah. 
for me and everyone else. So instead of us holding a cup while we peed, they gave us this upside down cowboy hat looking container thing to, to set on the toilet. No hands allowed under you to puncture pee bag. Oh, screwed. Yeah, screwed. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. Were you here when Roxette found a wiener in the courtyard? <laughs> what? A wiener. Yeah. Hysterical. Officer Rogstad, as he liked to be called. He's retired now. He's great. He was a great guy. He was funny, kind, kind of cute. Anyway, the courtyard. Okay. The courtyard's empty. He's walking from one of the units and he stopped and did a double take because there was something on the ground. He walked over to an object, looked down put on a blue rubber glove. He bends over and I swear, with two fingers, picks up this large wiener sausage. <laughs> like, I'm sure it fell out of someone's pocket as they were trying to smuggle it out of the chow hall. He's standing there holding this sausage, looking at it like, what the fuck? It was really funny. I've left the lunchroom with a piece of chicken, two apples, a milk and two slices of bread. What? <laughs> Three oh. oranges. A uh, burger and tater tots. Well, yeah, but you guys have all the boobs. You can hide it up in front. I can't hide a sugar packet without it looking sketchy. <laughs> you know, I don't know why we can't take back our food anyways. It's our food. I don't have any mm-hmm. extra food in my drawer. I would like to eat something after 5 mm-hmm. p.m. Yep. It's mm-hmm. stupid. Yep. I follow most of the rules, but not those food rules, because you know, I think it's a sin to waste food. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if anyone wants something off my tray and I'm not eating it, <laughs> take it. Right? Amen. Oh, my God. Last week, I saw Tessa walk in from dinner, and she's walking across the day space. There's a single file trail of lettuce behind her. <laughs> I mean, I left till I hiccuped. She turned so red. She was picking up sound like crazy. Uh, okay, okay. Well, what's the most difficult thing you've ever brought back from the lunchroom? Oh, lettuce salad with tomatoes. Wow. Canned pears. Canned pears? Mm-hmm. What did you do with those? What did you want those for? I was trying to make a dessert with fruit in it. Like what? (laughs) Okay. I microwave vanilla wafers crushed up with heated caramels, oatmeal packets, and duplex (laughs) cookies with the inside scraped out for the crust. And then poured on the pears and then heated up the inside filling of the cookies, the frosting pot, and drizzled it on top. <laughs> yeah, it turned out really good. I had to put the pears in a rinsed out milk carton. Yeah, I can't travel with canned fruit. I don't have the boobs. You sure don't. No boobs. Oh, okay. No boobies for you. No. Okay, here it is. I'd help you from falling on your ass. I'd hug you when your father ailed and passed. I'd plug your nose when you got smelly gas. But it's a no-touch facility. Whether you're here for a day or forever. It's a no-touch facility. No loitering. No skipping. No yelling. No running. No passing. No sharing. No dancing. No. No walking on the grass. Or bare feet. Or talking back. Or pets. No gym shopping or internet. 
I shake your hand when you receive your GED. I'd high five you when you you ate and could pee. I'd slap you on your back if you were choking on a bee. But it's a no touch facility. Whether you're here for a day or forever, it's a no touch facility. No loitering. No skipping. No yelling. No running. No passing. No sharing. No dancing. No. No, no walking on the grass. No bare feet. Or talking back. Or pets. No gym shopping or internet. It's a no-touch facility. No loitering. No skipping. No yelling. Hey, no running. No passing. No sharing. No dancing. No. no. I'd let you lean in if your muscle had a tear. I'd give you my hand to show you that I care. I'd swipe that spider right off your hair. But no. No, no, no. No, 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 no. Cause it's a no-touch facility. Whether you're here for a day or forever, it's a no-touch facility. No loitering. No skipping. No yelling. No running. No passing. No sharing. No dancing. No. I know, I know. No walking on the grass. No bare feet. Or talking back. Or pets. No gym shopping or internet. Blinds up by 8 a.m. No dancing? No. No. Movement closed. this Open Door Playhouse production. Please join us in the months to come as we bring more humorous, thoughtful, and surprising 10-minute shorts and one-act plays that showcase insightful and new perspectives of the world we share with others. If you like what you hear, please click on the donate buttons you find all over the website. (laughs) Your tax deduction donations through our fiscal sponsor, Fractured Atlas, will help us keep our plays on the air. You'll find a full list of our donors on our website. If you're interested in submitting a play for production, you can find that information on our website. Please share the podcast with friends and don't forget to subscribe so you'll be notified when our next production is live. Thank you.